It's so good to be with you uh, this morning and to think about the gospel in our Sunday school hour and then to sing of it uh, together in the hope that we have in the power of Christ alone and the victory uh, that we share in in his resurrection from the dead. What a great hope that we uh, share this morning in this place. Would you uh, find with me in your copy of God's Word, Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, as we come to the end of this first chapter of Ruth, we come to the conclusion of this first portion, this first story here in the book of Ruth, verses 19 through 22. So Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, and if you would, just follow along with me there in, in your copy of God's Word as we read these four verses together. It says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, in these moments, we commit ourselves to you. We rest under the authority and sufficiency of your holy and inspired perfect word. So Lord, as we consider these few verses this morning, would you speak as we know that you will? Will you build your church as you promised to do? Would you receive all the glory and honor as we think on and meditate on and consider these verses of your holy inspired scripture this morning? Lord, would you remove distractions from this place? Help us to set our attention and our focus and our attitudes and our thoughts and our affections on you and you alone. And we pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable before you. Amen. I'll never forget the first time Morgan and I left our oldest daughter, our first child, for several nights. Her grandparents kept her while we went on a vacation. It was the first time we'd really left her overnight, even for a long period of time. We were gone for about a week, and she was about one years old at the time. Uh, and I'll never forget when we returned from that trip, we, we pulled up in front of our house and her grandparents had her in the uh, truck bed of my truck that was parked in front of the house. And as we pulled up, we could see her. She was playing and laughing with the grandparents, very happy. And so we pulled the car up right behind her and she looked and as soon as she realized who it was, her face went from this happy, jovial expression to just a frown and bitterness. She couldn't say much at the time, but her expression made it very clear to us. She wanted to know where on earth had we been. Why had we left her in such a predicament for those many days? Now, it didn't take long for her to cheer up and be happy to see mom and dad, but immediately you could see the questions in her mind and maybe even a hint of bitterness. She loved her mom and dad. She trusted her mom and dad. Where on earth... Had we been, there, there are times in life and in the Christian life in particular where we find ourselves in a certain 
predicament. We find ourselves in a season of suffering or trial or famine or storm, and we love the Lord and we trust that he is good, but sometimes we come to a place where we find ourselves bitter and we question and say, Lord, where are you? Where have you been in the midst of my predicament? We see this communicated here in these four verses of Ruth chapter 1. But primarily what we come to see here in these verses is that there is hope to be found in bitterness. I want us to do something very simple today. I want us to to consider three things about this passage. First, I want us to look at the structure. How did the writer write these verses to us and what can we take from that? Then I want us to notice several comparisons that we see here in these few verses that we just read. And then finally, I want us to notice God and his involvement in this part of the story. So if you would first notice with me just the structure. First, look at verses 19 and 22. These two verses communicate very much the same thing. Verse 19 says, So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem. Verse 22 communicates very much the same thing. Naomi and Ruth returned and they came from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. So this journey that starts back in chapter six, or verse 6 of last week has now come to the end. They have come back to Bethlehem. Both of these verses also tell us a little bit about the setting that they've come back to. Verse 19 says that the town was glad to see them, that the women had this question, Is this Naomi? And then verse 22 tells us, as we'll come to talk about here in a moment more, that they came at the beginning of the barley harvest. And sandwiched in between these two verses that present just this basic information to us, we see a speech from Naomi in verses 20 and 21. And she communicates this comparison between the old Naomi and the new Naomi. And in the midst of what she is facing, we also, though, see a recognition of what God is doing in and through her situation. So that's just the basic structure of these four verses. I also want us to consider the structure of the chapter as a whole. Consider where we began in verse 1. It says, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. But here at the end of the chapter, in verse 22, it says this, They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The transition of this story is quite clear for us, and we'll see that unfold before our eyes as we consider these four verses together. So we see the structure, but notice then the comparisons that are made here in these few verses. There are several of them. First, we see the comparison between Bethlehem and Moab. It says there that in verse 22, they had returned from the country of Moab. This sounds very familiar. This is what we were told in verse 6, that Naomi arose with her daughters-in-laws to return from the country of Moab. This word country is used to describe Moab several times in the passage. We saw it in verse 1, that he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. We see it there in verse 6. We actually see it twice there. 
When it says, for she had heard in the fields of Moab, that word there in the Hebrew is the same for country. And then finally, we see it again here in verse 22. There is this clear distinction of a place, a portion of land where they have gone to, where they have fled to, to escape the famine that they faced in Bethlehem. And so the comparison is clearly between Moab and Bethlehem. Notice that in these four verses that we read, Bethlehem is used three times by the author. You might think to yourself, that's a little bit of overkill. We know they came back to Bethlehem. But I believe the writer does this intentionally to remind us of the significance of where they have come to. Not only is this their home, not only is this the place that they left, but do you remember what Bethlehem means? Bethlehem means house of bread. This is why it is so uh, important at the beginning of the story that they left Bethlehem in a time of famine under the judgment of God, but in the mercy of God, they have returned to Bethlehem. It is quite ironic that the place that they left at the beginning of chapter 1 is the place that God in his goodness brings her back to at the end of chapter 1. Not only does he bring her back to Bethlehem, but he brings her back in the season of the barley harvest. So we come to see here, and I hope you've seen this over the last several weeks as we've looked at chapter 1, that Moab represents rebellion. Bethlehem represents the promises of God. And what does God do? He brings Naomi back to Bethlehem. And we see this theme of rebellion that we've touched on several times here in chapter 1. That rebellion never pays off. Rebellion always ends in misery and in the pit. And although it might seem fun for a short time, and although in in the beginnings of that time in Moab things seemed well, we see over and over and over again for the people of God when we live in rebellion, it will end in misery. And so what must Naomi do? In view of God's mercy that he has shown his people. There in verse 6 from last week. The Lord had visited his people and given them food. What is the response? It is to return. It is to return to Bethlehem. We saw this last week in verse 6 and talked about that return from the country of Moab means to repent, to turn away from rebellion. And again, this word return is used three times in verses 19 through 22. You're going to see a pattern here of words used several times in these few verses. But notice in verse 22, it says twice there that they returned, Naomi returned. And Ruth, a Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who, had retu- who returned from the country of Moab. In fact, in verse 21, we also see that word returned when it says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back. Brought back is that same word for return. So we see this repenting, this turning away from Moab, but then we see a coming in to Bethlehem. Three times the word came is used here in verses 19 through 22. Verse 1, they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, finally it ends in verse 22, and they came to Bethlehem. This word came is used in Genesis when God commands Noah and his family to come in to the ark. So there is this call to repent and leave the rebellion of Moab behind and come in to the covenant promises that are found in Bethlehem. Notice too the comparison between famine and harvest. This is easy to see. 
Under God's judgment, there is a famine in the land, verse 1. But here, under God's mercy, there is a harvest that we see in verse 22. So notice the, tr- the, the progression of the story of chapter 1. We have gone from famine to rebellion to repentance to harvest. And so we might think to ourselves that this is a glorious return for Naomi, that she has much to rejoice in. The Lord has brought her back to Bethlehem in the season of harvest. And we come to see that the people of the town see it this way as well. Notice what it says there in verse 19. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Uh, the language that is used here is, is, is used to communicate the coming of going of people in a general sense uh, into a city, at the city gate. And on any particular day when people come in and out of the gate, there's not much to be noted. Nothing is, is really important about that. But on this particular day, the people of the city are in a stir because Naomi has returned. Another way to translate this is that the whole city echoed with excitement. Don't miss this. This is a joyous occasion for the people of the city. They are full of joy in the fact that Naomi has returned. And even the question that the women ask there at the end of verse 19, is this Naomi, is an expression of their joy to see her. There's an excitement, there's a joy that fills the entire city upon hearing that this one who had left so many years ago has returned. That question that the women asked there at the end of verse 19, though, also is an expression of of a little bit of shock. They are surprised to see Naomi, and we can assume that she has changed quite a bit. It's been over 15 years since they last saw her, her Her state is that of of bitterness. She's probably downcast. But there's one major thing that has changed about Naomi that goes unmentioned in Naomi's speech in verses 20 and 21, and that is Ruth. The biggest change for uh, Naomi when she comes back into Bethlehem is she has a tagalong, and it's a Moabite woman. Ruth would have served as a dark reminder for Naomi of the situation that she faced in the land of Moab. And if we consider what we looked at last week, there's a sense that Naomi really doesn't want Ruth to return with her because it will be a point of shame for her when she returns to Bethlehem. And she has to come into Bethlehem with this Moabite daughter-in-law by her side. But as we'll come to see in the story, Ruth is actually the one who will ultimately bring hope to Naomi and her plight and to her family. And so again, we should, we, 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 there's a sense of excitement. We see that as the reader and, and the people in the town see it that way, but this is not the, the view that Naomi has of her situation when she returns to Bethlehem. So I want us to notice here a comparison between the old Naomi and the new Naomi. First, we see this comparison between pleasantness and bitterness. The name Naomi means pleasant, and the name that she tells the people of the city to call her Mara means bitterness. And so we acknowledged last week, and we we can do so again today, that she has a high view of God over her situation. She sees that God is sovereign in her suffering, but on her return to Bethlehem, we also come to see that she is quite frustrated with God 
in view of what has happened to her. And so what does she say there? She says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So not only does she feel bitter herself, but she attributes the bitterness that she feels to the bitterness that God has shown toward her. Now, this word Mara and the idea of bitterness is very important in the narrative story of the nation of Israel. So turn back with me for a moment to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15 in verse 23. And as you're turning there, uh, just a little bit of backstory what's happened here. God has delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And you know the story. They come to the Red Sea and what does God do? He opens the Red Sea so that they can pass through it. And after they pass through and Pharaoh's army comes after them, the sea closes in on Pharaoh and his army and it destroys them. And so in chapter 15 of Exodus, we see Moses' song of praise to the Lord. But then we come to verse 22 of Exodus 15 and listen to what happens after this incident here at the Red Sea. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So they come to this place that's known for its bitter water. It's named for the bitter water. And what do the people of God do? They show bitterness toward God. What shall we drink, they say. Verse 25, and Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Here we see Naomi, just as her ancestors did in the wilderness, in the land of Marah, grumbling against God. Her heart is bitter toward him. One commentator said this about her situation and and how it relates to our lives. He says, when life is hard, even when the difficulties are a direct result of our sin, we swiftly attribute our pain and loss to the harshness of God's wrath. Whether it is a closed door in our career path, financial difficulties, or shattered relationships, our first resort is to often blame God's harshness for our pain. And Naomi here fails in the midst of her bitterness to see the hope of her situation. Don't miss this. Mara in the book of Exodus is not just a reminder of the bitterness of God's people in the wilderness. Mara serves primarily as a reminder to us as God's people that God shows grace to grumblers like you and me. In the midst of our grumbling and our bitterness, God is gracious to us. And God has been gracious to Naomi to bring her back to the promised land. But she does not see it this way. Although God is showing her grace, she sees her situation as one of dire straits. Notice, too, the comparison of fool to 
empty. You see it there in verse 21. She says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. That word full there means the, the, the fullness of life that she had. Before they left the promised land, that she was full of happiness and, and, and joy in her, in her marriage to Elimelech and raising their two boys in Bethlehem. This speaks to the richness of her life, but she has returned to Bethlehem empty. She is quite literally living in utter poverty. We'll see this unfold before our eyes as we continue to go through the the book of Ruth, the, the poverty in which Naomi and Ruth return to the promised land in. She has gone from riches and wealth to nothing. And so when she says there, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty, there's several ways that we could maybe understand what she's communicating here. Maybe she has somewhat of a good old days type of mentality. Back in the good old days, my life was so much better. Maybe she, she's considering the rebellion that they lived in and, and, and she's thinking to herself, man, when we were living in rebellion, things were better off for us. Both of those are possibilities. I think, though, the third option is more of what she's communicating there in verse 21. The prospect of my life looked better before we left for Moab. In other words, at some level, I think she recognizes this. We should never have left Bethlehem. We should never have left the promised land. And so we see her. Her condition has changed for what appears to be the worst. But again, as the readers, we see that God, in the midst of this great season of emptiness, is working out something for her good. Finally, notice the comparison between good and bad. It goes on to say there in verse 21, Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? That word calamity means bad or evil. And that word, I believe, sums up her view of her situation quite well. Her life is in total chaos. And I wonder for some of you this morning, as you sit in this place, that that is your view of your situation right now. My life today is in chaos. My life is full of calamity. God, where are you? Well, I want us then to turn... And notice finally what God is doing in the midst of all of this. First, we notice about God here in these four verses that he is the almighty God. Twice, Naomi, in her bitterness, says that it is the almighty God who has done these things. This name of God, Shaddai, that should sound very familiar to us as we've been walking through Genesis this year. In Genesis 17.1, God comes to Abraham and he reveals this name to him as Almighty God. And he says there in Genesis 17.1, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. This name, Shaddai, means Almighty, the omnipotent, all-powerful God. And Naomi rightly refers to him as such. He is all-powerful, and she recognizes that in her situation. But her complaint is not with her husband. It is with the Almighty God. There's, There's legal language here. She's making a legal complaint against the Almighty. Verse 20, she says the Almighty has dealt very bitterly. Then in in verse 21, you really see the legal language in, in, in the English. The Lord has testified against me. Her complaint is against the Almighty God. And at some level, church, we commend her honesty here. 
Her complaint recognizes that God is almighty and he is the only one who can bring any sort of change to her situation. We, we see this in the Psalms, and we, we've talked about this before. When we, we, we hear in the Psalms the, the, the prayer of, How long, O Lord, the psalmist says. Again, where are you, God? And yet in that prayer of, of, of questioning God and saying, Lord, where are you? At least the, the psalmist is going to the only one who can bring relief to his situation. So she recognizes that he is almighty God. The question, though, for Naomi is, will she trust that he will turn her bitterness into hope? Notice, too, that the Lord brought her back. It says there, verse, uh, uh, verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back. Now, she says that the Lord has brought me back empty. Again, she's not pleased with her situation, but she recognizes it is of God. So again, the question is, will she recognize God's kindness in her suffering? This makes me think of Romans chapter 2, verse 4, where the writer there speaks to the kindness of God and what it does in the midst of judgment. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And so, in other words, when God is patient and when he is kind and he, and, and he shows his forbearance over our lives, it's not so that we can go on sinning so that grace may increase. No, it is meant to lead us to repentance. And here we see the Lord bringing her back in his kindness. Although she questions it, God in his kindness has brought her back. He has led her to repentance. Thirdly, though, about God, we see that he had brought her back in this state, the bitterness, the emptiness, the utter calamity in which she lives in is all due to the fact that God took her husband and her two sons. We need to recognize something in our, in our loss in this life. First, we need to recognize that God in his kindness will take things from us that are precious to us because they are promoting sin and pride in us. But we also need to recognize that sometimes God takes things that are precious to us and things that are maybe even good to us to demonstrate that He is better. To demonstrate His sufficient and relentless grace in our loss. And this is a hard truth for us to comprehend. It's a little bit easier for us to understand that God might take something from us that is leading us to sin, but it's hard for us to fathom that God would take something precious and dear to us in this life to help us to love him more and depend on self less. That he would take us from pleasant times to bitter times, from times of fullness to times of emptiness to teach us to rely on him more. Hear this, friend, in, in, the, in the, the circumstances that you are facing today, hear this. In fact, if you hear nothing else I say this morning, hear this one thing. He is better in every situation of life. He is better than even the best things that this life has to offer. 
And so he does not work in our lives this way because he hates us or he's angry with us, but rather as his children, he works in such a way in our lives because he loves us. And he is a good father. And he wants to give us more of himself because he's good. He's better. Finally, though, we see here in God that he gives Naomi hope. And again, the people of Bethlehem recognize that. We recognize that as the readers. It's the season of harvest. We know where the, the story is going. We know the trajectory of the story. But for Naomi, right now, at some level, she doubts that God is good in all circumstances. She has doubts about God's goodness. Her bitterness is keeping her from seeing God's goodness over her situation. And when we come to times in life where we begin to question and doubt that God is good, the remedy to that is to remember what he has done. To look back to his faithfulness in years past. And so for Naomi, she should have recounted what God did for her people in Mara. That in their bitterness and in their longing for water, what did God do? He was gracious to them and provided for them. But hear this, the remedy for questioning God's goodness is not just to look back at his faithfulness. The best thing that we can do when we start to question whether or not God is good in our suffering is to look to the cross of Christ. Ultimately, when we begin to question God's goodness in our suffering, we need to look to the gospel to remind us of his goodness. One commentator said this, the gospel answers our doubts that God really has our best interests at heart. And so if you're, you're doubting what God is doing in your life, look to the cross and look what Jesus did there. That God sent his only son in the form of a man to live a sinless life, to die a cruel death on a cross in your place and rose victoriously from the grave. When you begin to doubt the goodness of God in your suffering, look to the cross of Christ. So is God good in the midst of calamity? We find that the answer is yes, and we find it in Christ alone, who went and suffered a, a cruel death on our behalf so that we might come to know the mercy of God. I want you to listen to what Hezekiah says in the book of Isaiah. In fact, would you turn with me here? It's just one verse, but this is, this is very um, profound. So in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17, I want you to listen to what Hezekiah has to say about his suffering. And what's so, what's so special and so sweet about this verse is that he uses the word bitterness to describe his suffering. The very same word that Naomi has used to describe herself. And listen to what Hezekiah says in Isaiah 38, verse 17. He says, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. Did you miss that? Listen again. It was for my welfare. It was for my good that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. God 
uses the seasons of bitterness in this life for our welfare. And so as we close, we, we acknowledge that sometimes we are bitter. We don't like the place that we are in and we question God or are even angry with God for bringing us to a particular point in time in this life. And, and we recognize his sovereignty over our plight, but we are not happy about it. Sometimes we rebel against God and we think that we can do better than God in the land of Moab in our own strength and our own power. But we come to find that rebellion might seem romantic for a while, but it only leads to misery. Hear this. Hope is where God is. Hope is in the promised land. Hope is found in Bethlehem. Hope is found in Christ alone. And if you are his child this morning... He will always bring you back to Bethlehem. The promised land, under the banner of his steadfast love, his covenant promises, his faithfulness. He will be faithful to the end to his people. Famine in the promised land is better than harvest in Moab. Obedience in adversity is better than disobedience in prosperity. Trust in the storm is better than doubt in the sunshine. Faithfulness in suffering is better than faithlessness in comfort. And so there are two choices for us today. Moab or Bethlehem. Bitterness or pleasantness, emptiness or fullness, evil or good, doubt or trust, rebellion or obedience, sin and death or Christ and life eternal. What will you choose today? Maybe you are like Naomi. You are a child of the king. You are, you are one of his covenant people by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And you find yourself in a season of rebellion living in Moab. Or maybe you find yourself in a season of bitterness. Listen to this. Though we have each gone astray like Naomi in search of bread that does not satisfy, God has not simply cut us off in his anger and wrath as we deserved. If you are his this morning, he will keep you. You, like the prodigal son, your standing before the father does not change. Return to him today. Know that you are kept in him. So if you're living in rebellion or bitterness, turn to Christ. But finally, maybe, maybe this morning you are, you're like Ruth. You are a child of Moab. You are born into utter darkness and slave to sin and death. And there's no hope for you to be found in Moab, but there is good news for you today. The Lord has delivered his people in the promised land. Repent from Moab and return to the Lord. Turn from your sin, repent of your sin, and look to Jesus Christ who has conquered sin and death once and for all. And know that there is life eternal to be found in him and him alone. Turn from your sin, turn from your rebellion, turn from Moab and come in to Christ today. Let us pray.